0: Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. This first uh, sermon we're going to go through, a little bit of Acts chapter 1 and a little bit of Acts chapter 2, and I want to talk about how it is normal to receive power to be a witness for Jesus. Now, I know when we think about that word power, We think of you know evangelists going around fire 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 you know you're like I don't want that type of power that's or you know I, 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 I get nervous around that. Listen, God flows through you in the form of His power, how He created you. So He's given you a unique personality, a unique DNA, and He wants to flow through you uniquely with His power. So it can look differently. There's people that minister in great power and great healing, great salvations that are very calm. They just walk around with smiles on their face and they minister to people and they hug people and they bring people into the kingdom. So I don't want you to, when we're talking about that word power, get rid of the, the connotations and the definitions of what you think it means and just ask the Holy Spirit to come in power to empower you to be the very thing Jesus called us to be, which are his witnesses. Amen. So you, you can't put a definition on it. You have to ask Jesus to pour out freshly what he wants to do in your life. If you even think about that, when you're, we're following Jesus, what does that mean? Following Jesus is not the American dream. It's not the perfect house and the perfect retirement and the two cars that always work. That's not what we're looking to do. Following Jesus doesn't mean you're going to have the best position at your workplace and then favor's just gonna be there in that area. Following Jesus does not mean you're always going to be comfortable. Life is good. Life is good, right? Following Jesus means actually following in his footsteps until your lifestyle mirrors his lifestyle. That's what normal Christianity is. In fact, when you think about the word normal and average, sometimes people say, I don't wanna be normal. I wanna be radical. I wanna be extravagant. You're not thinking of that word correctly. If you think of normal, Versus average. I don't want to be average. I don't want excuses. I don't want to be able to make excuses about being an average Christian. I'm an average Christian. I love Jesus. I've never led anybody to the Lord. People don't get healed when I pray, but I do. You know, I read my Bible three times a week and I pray five times a day or five minutes a day. I don't want to be average, and I don't want us to be average. But the word normal is something different. If you're measuring a vehicle based on if it's a normal car. What you're doing is you're measuring it based on the ideal car. So you're saying, is this normal? For it to be a normal car, it should have four wheels, at least four windows, a gas pedal, a brake pedal, a gear shift, a steering wheel, right? If it was missing one of those things, it would be abnormal and unusable, right? So, but you're not comparing that car to all the cars around you. You're comparing that car to what an ideal car would be to see, is this normal. However, if you're, if you're looking and measuring, is your car average? Guess what you start doing? You start looking at all the other cars around you, right? This one's faster. This one's nicer. This one's newer. This one has you know, more miles on it or less miles on it. And what you do is start comparing. Jesus does not want you to look to your left or your right and compare yourself to other people's lives because you'll either be pathetic in their sight or you'll be like, I'm doing great because I read more and pray more and go to church more than this person. That, I don't want you to look, are you above average, average, or below average? I just want us to be normal. I want us to actually walk this out, how Jesus walked it out, and how he instructed the early church to walk this out. So if you think about what normal is now, we actually think, what results did the early church get? What results did Jesus get? When we get to that point, to seeing crowds following you because you're operating in so much love, so much compassion, so much acceptance of where people are but still ministering the truth, then we can say we're getting to a point of being normal. Hey, I'm just doing what Jesus did. How many of you would love to be able to say that? Listen, I'm not trying to get all extravagant. I'm just seeing the results that Jesus asked me to see. Signs, wonders, miracles, compassion, love, sinners love to be around you because of the love that exudes from you? I just wanna be like Jesus, right? So what we're learning from is the book of Acts over these nine weeks because he instructed them in a certain way and we see fruit coming from the early church that we can follow, and then we could say, listen, I'm not comparing myself to any other church or any other person in this church. I'm looking at Jesus. I'm looking at what his instructions were to the book of Acts in the early church, and I'm going to be a normal Christian. Normal's not boring. You might not even know Jesus, and you're sitting there like, I don't want to be normal. Normal doesn't have to be boring. Normal doesn't have to be routine. Normal doesn't have to be mundane. Was Jesus's life any of those things? Was the early church boring? Absolutely not. It was an exciting journey, following and leading the Holy Spirit, but they had power. Today is the day of Pentecost. It's Pentecost Sunday. Many of you may know that. Some of you might not know that. The word Pentecost, well, first of all, Pentecost Sunday is a day where the evangelical church, the Protestant church, celebrates the birth of the New Testament Christian church. So that word Pentecost means 50th. So it's a festival that was celebrated in the Old Testament 50 days after Passover. I talked about Passover on Good Friday. I'll touch on it a little bit right now. Passover was when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. They wiped the blood of the lamb on the doorposts the night before they were delivered from slavery. The, the death angel passed over them and did not punish them. They were protected. The favor of the Lord was upon them and they were delivered out of Egypt. 50 days after that happened, there was the end of, I think it was the barley season and the the beginning of the wheat season, and they celebrated a festival there, okay? Now, let's take this all the way to the New Testament. Jesus dies on Passover, okay? So now it's not about the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, it's about the blood of the lamb falling from his hands and his sides and his head for the forgiveness of our sins, So Jesus, when he's resurrected, he walks on earth for 40 days after his resurrection ministering. He ascends to the Father and he says, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power that my Father has promised. Well, 10 days later is now 50 days after Passover. All of the Jewish people are like, hey, there's a festival coming up. We're all going to go to Jerusalem. So they all are attracted to Jerusalem, not because Jesus died on Passover, it was because it was an Old Testament festival that they're following because of their traditions. So it's 50 days now after Passover. How cool is that, that God shows the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the specific day of Passover, when Jews from all different nations are surrounding around for Jesus to pour out his Holy Spirit in power and birth the church of Jesus Christ. So in churches across America now, and we used to do it when we were in the church that I grew up, a lot of times churches will wear red as a symbol of the fire of God because they saw tongues of fire falling upon them. And they'll wear red, and they'll say, this is like the church's birthday. This is much more than the church's birthday. This is the empowerment of the church to actually do the work of Jesus. I mean, I've been really challenged even writing this message of saying like, what we're doing as a church, are we changing people's lives? Are we really ministering to souls and to bodies and to spirits? Are we actually doing what Jesus called us to do? And not just as a church body, so don't think, no, you're not, you have to do this mission. No, no, you too, you're the church. We are the church. So what we wanna do is look at the book of Acts, birthed on the day of Pentecost and carried from there. Acts is a historical account of the early church, okay? So it's an important book because it looks at the ways and the workings of how the church developed in the first few decades. It also looks at Peter's and Paul's ministry, And then Paul's missionary journeys. Last week, Pastor Steve Bradshaw, thought he did an awesome job preaching on on the book of Luke and on the author of Luke. So hopefully, you know, if you were here last week, Luke is the author of not just the gospel of Luke, but also the book of Acts. Luke was a doctor. He was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. Every other person who wrote a book in the New Testament was Jewish. Luke did not come from a Jewish descent. So he was called a Gentile. So he writes from a completely different perspective than any of the other writers. So what Luke did is he took, uh, he studied local church records, and he was also a very close companion with Paul. So he took his personal experiences and local church records, and he recorded an account of Acts. Now, the book of Luke and the book of Acts is written to a person named Theophilus. Now, there's three uh, three beliefs about this person, Theophilus, that the, the theologians, the Bible scholars believe. Number one, they believe that he could have been a high-ranking Roman official because Luke was not Jewish. Luke was showing somebody outside of the Jewish area how the church advanced. The second thought is, is that, the- that Luke was the- Theophilus' doctor and he wanted to prove to him what was happening in the church. Now, if you break up Theo and uh, Philaean, I believe it is, if you break up Theophilus into two words, it means someone who knows God. So a third belief system is is that Theophilus is not a real person, that he was writing to someone who knows God but was not revealing who it was because there was great persecution at that time. You confused? No, Good. I don't personally care who it was to. I get to enjoy it and read it and know how the early church walked this out. And we have the great privilege of doing it also. So do you know who Theophilus is? No, neither do I, but we're gonna follow it. We're gonna learn from the book of Acts and see what's going on. I wanna break down six different areas that's gonna help you and then we're gonna get uh, briefly into the text today and then we're gonna just spend some time praying at the altar, and when we do that, we, I want you guys to stay engaged. If you don't feel like coming down, or you're not comfortable right now, I want you to, to at least stay for a period of time and just seek the Lord where you're comfortable doing it, worship, and, and press in with us at the end of service today. I like how the uh, one one scholar broke this down, so I'm just going to share with you. If, even if you took the chapter and the verse and just wrote those down, not the whole verse that's going to be on the screen, it'll help you as you're reading through understand how Luke described the advancement of the gospel. The first section goes from chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 6, verse 7. Again, this is just one person's view. These chapters tell about the church in Jerusalem, how Peter was preaching in this area. And in chapter 6, verse 7, it said, The word of God continued to spread. The number of disciples increased greatly. Where? In Jerusalem. So it's talking about just right at home in Jerusalem where the Holy Spirit first was poured out, but it continued to spread and disciples increased. The second section is chapter six, verse eight, down to chapter nine, verse 31. This is now Christianity being spread throughout Palestine. It talked about how how Stephen was killed for his faith. That's called martyrdom. And it follows the preaching into Samaria. You might remember Jesus talking about Samaria. Chapter nine, verse 31 says, Meanwhile, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace. It says, living in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Chapter nine, the third one, chapter nine, verse 32, the chapter 12, 24. This is the conversion of Paul we'll talk about. This is now the church going out further into Antioch. And it also talks about a man named Cornelius when he was converted and his entire family was. In verse 24 of chapter 12, the word of God continued to advance. Do you see something common in the early church? There wasn't backstepping. There wasn't being calm. It wasn't being quiet. It continued to grow. It continued to advance. The fifth one is chapter 16, verse 6 to 1920. This is now the expansion of the church into Europe. This is the work of Paul in different Gentile cities like Corinth and Ephesus, and it, again it said the work of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. In the last section, nineteen twenty-one, all the way through the end of the book, which is twenty-eight verse thirty-one, this is Paul ministering in Rome, and it says boldly and without hindrance he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you look at Luke's recounting the history of Acts, it starts in Jerusalem, goes to Judea, in Samaria, Antioch, Asia Minor, Galatia, Europe, Corinth, and eventually out to Rome. This did not take very long. This did not take very long at all. Luke was making it clear. The church has been birthed, the church has been empowered, and they have a business to do, and they're actually doing it. When you listen to phrases like continued to spread, increased greatly, increased in numbers, continued to advance, increased in numbers daily, spread widely, grew in power boldly and without hindrance. This was a fulfillment of Acts chapter one, verse eight. And Jesus says this to his disciples. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Christianity was never meant to go backwards. It was never meant to be powerless. It was never meant to be boring or routine. It was meant to be flooded through with the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would take the kingdom of God everywhere we went and change lives as we go. That is normal Christianity. I actually don't like the term Pentecostal. Is this a Pentecostal church? Oh, you believe in speaking in tongues? You believe in the gifts of the Spirit? I'm not Pentecostal. Wait a minute. You celebrate the same Pentecost day of Pentecost that we do. The same day that all the other churches celebrate. We didn't make this up. We didn't fabricate it. We didn't stick in tongues. We didn't stick in the fire part. Right? Pentecostals don't have different Bibles than anyone else. It was normal. If you were a normal Christian in the New Testament, you were Pentecostal. Because the Holy Spirit fell on you either at the day of Pentecost or a few decades later as they learned about the moving of the Holy Spirit. And these people, you'll see throughout the book of Acts, they were already believers, folks. They already had the Holy Spirit in them. And then the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. Some people will say, well, the day of Pentecost, that's when they got the Holy Spirit in them, so I don't, have, I don't believe you're, it's the whole power thing. Listen, you have to follow this. Follow this out throughout the book of Acts. It'll say, Peter came to disciples, or Paul came to followers of Jesus. It's very clear these men and women already believed in Jesus. Guess what happens when you believe in Jesus? You get the Holy Spirit as an indwelling witness, a guarantee, a deposit, a download that you are his. That he, that is your destination in the future, but he is yours and you are his now in the present tense. Now, as people are walking this thing out, Jesus again pours out the Holy Spirit upon them for the purpose of power. Now, in Matthew 28, Jesus tells this very similarly. He just doesn't include the power part. So he says, what what are you gonna do? I've been given authority in heaven and earth, therefore go. What's he doing? He's giving them authority. So go and make disciples of all nations and baptizing them and teaching them and doing all these things. If you follow this out here, he's not, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, he's not saying, go, 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 sending them off to missions. That word is, as you go, make disciples. So he's saying, you've received authority to go apart about in your daily life as you're traveling, as you're doing your daily business, make disciples. Now watch this promise, the last sentence. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What's interesting, if you only read the book of Matthew, that might confuse you, right? Dewey, if I can use you. I I pick on Dewey because he sits up front. If I was talking to Dewey and I said, listen, Dewey, I'm going to give you a completely impossible task. We have this product here, and you have to take it not just in Houston, not just in Pennsylvania, not just in America, but across the entire world. And I'm going to be with you all the time. <laughs> that would be weird. Has anybody ever read that verse and thought, what did Jesus do after he said that? He leaves. Thanks, Dewey. (laughs) Did any of you catch that? I'm going to be with you always, guys. And then he leaves. But if you follow Luke out in chapter 24, he says, listen, I'm leaving, but I'm sending you someone. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. So they understood, when you read Matthew by itself, you might not understand, but when you start to read in Mark and you read now in Luke, you understand he's leaving, but he's sending someone. It was the gift of the Father given to Jesus to pour out on believers. The purpose was power. So we could actually make disciples of all nations. How many of you know this is impossible to do? This is impossible. It's humanly impossible. I need power. I don't don't need a 20-second experience at an altar. I need ongoing power. If I could be really frank and blunt sometimes, I think the whole, like, this is Pentecost Sunday, and I didn't plan to even preach this on Pentecost Sunday. It was like, Pentecostal church, it's Pentecost Sunday. He's going to preach on tongues. It's going to get weird. No. I actually think sometimes these altar times here, people just get tense, right? Okay. Okay. I've gone up six times. I haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit yet. And you come up here, people are praying with you, and you're thinking, did I speak in tongues yet? Did I speak in tongues yet? And Jesus is like, this isn't what I'm supposed, this isn't how this is supposed to happen. Never in scripture did somebody come up and say, okay, we're gonna pray for you just so you speak in tongues. So we come up here, and you're already tense, and you're nervous, and it's like, oh, I did it, I did it, okay, I did it. And then we go off, and you're like, what, what just happened? Like I would actually just like at the end of service for people to come up that just want Jesus to pour more of his Holy Spirit out in power, and however that looks, let it take its course. Maybe you won't get a prayer language. like We, we, we talk about prayer language, speaking in tongues, praying in tongues. Maybe you'll get that a week from now. Maybe you'll get it a few days from now. You have to take off like the, what's going to happen right here. My goodness, they spent 10 days praying and worshiping together. And we're like, in the next song, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, we want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're giving Jesus two and a half minutes. So this is what I want. When we come forward, I just want people who are like, I want more of Jesus. I want to be normal like Jesus was. He was abnormal to all the religious folks who didn't like him because he threatened them, right? Because they were good in their traditions and their laws. He was raw. He was real. He was powerful. So I just want people to come up. And say, I want more of you, Jesus. I want you to pour your Holy Spirit out on us. And however that looks today is perfectly fine with me. Because you know why? When you turn around and leave, you go in faith, believing, I asked my heavenly Father to pour out more power on me. And I prayed it in Jesus' name. So I'm going to leave in faith, believing I've been empowered. If you wait for the goosebumps or you wait for something to happen, no, you know what's going to happen? Go out there today, pray for a sick person witness to somebody, admit you're a Christian to somebody who doesn't know you're a Christian and you'll watch power (laughs) rise up. Activate it. The reason why people aren't interested in the baptism of the Holy Spirit is because they might not be interested in being his witness. So I, I hear this question sometimes. Do I have to speak in tongues to go to heaven? No, that's the wrong question. Do I have to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? That's what we're talking about that happened on Pentecost. Do I have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to be an effective witness, okay? I'm not the right person to answer that question. You need to ask Jesus because he's the one that told the believers to stay in Jerusalem until they received power. So figure this. Let's say Jesus gave you an assignment to deliver water to thirsty people. That was your life's assignment, okay? And you already had this cup. Jesus said, listen, you're my follower. You get a cup, this is guaranteeing that you're gonna always be my follower. So Jesus comes to you and he says, listen, this cup is a nice cup. It's useful and it's effective, that's, that, that's good. But I need you to deliver way more water to way more people. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you money so you don't have to earn anything. And I want you to go to the store and I want you to buy a much larger bucket. And I want you to use this bucket to deliver water to thirsty people okay? Now, if you were only delivering water once or twice a year to one or two people, this is going to be fine. But if you actually want to complete Jesus's assignment to effectively and efficiently deliver as much water as possible to as many thirsty people, you will need the bucket. This is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This is good and effective, and it guarantees you are his, and you are on your way to heaven. However, Jesus gave us instructions to wait for this. We can't get into the theology today, but, and I, I don't have time to get into all of it today, but it says that the Father promised this gift of the Holy Spirit. So it says Jesus ascended to the Father, to the right hand of the Father, and God actually gave Jesus the ability to pour out the Holy Spirit, so it 's a gift from the Father, but Jesus is the one day of Pentecost. He's like he's up there 10 days, nine days, eight days, seven days. Father, can I do this? No, wait, 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 wait till the day of Pentecost. Boom, And he just splashes approximately 120 believers on the day of Pentecost, where they, they see a result and an action that makes a lot of people wonder, what is going on? And people come and they gather, and we 'll get there in just a minute. In Acts 1, 1, I'm not going to read it because of time. It talks about how Jesus walked the earth for 40 days. Down in verse 4, it says, Once when he was eating with them, he said, Don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. Jesus says in verse 5, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if I was talking to my son and I said, Hey, You're going to get a gift for your birthday. Hey, there's a bike coming in just a few days. Wait for it. Guess what he thinks the gift is? The bike. So when Jesus is saying, you're going to get the gift the Father has been talking about, I've been telling you God has a gift for you. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If you're newer to to understanding this, he said John, this John the Baptist, he baptized people in water. So he dunked them underwater as that sign of dying to yourself yourself Repenting of sins and following Jesus. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not a physical experience like going underwater, it's a spiritual endowment with power. Now, we do believe there's an initial physical evidence. It's like the x ray that something is going on inside. We do believe that the Lord empowers you to speak in other tongues. In fact, in this specific instance, they spoke in real languages that they didn't understand. Guess what that helped happen? It helped the advancement of the gospel because now I don't speak Aramaic or I don't speak Grecian or I don't speak this or that, but now I'm proclaiming the wonders of God to people in this city that have gathered for the day of Pentecost. You don't have to turn there. You don't have to put it on the screen either. Back in Luke chapter three, same author, different book. Luke 3, 16, people are asking John the Baptist, are you the Messiah? He says, nope. He says, I baptize you with water, but there's someone coming who is greater than I. So much greater, I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, this is like at least 15 years before this actually happens. But John the Baptist, the one that that baptized people in water, he was prophesying what would happen. Then at the end of Luke, when Jesus says in Luke 24, 48, you are witnesses of these things, and I will send you the Holy Spirit just as my father has promised. But he says, stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. We always look at Acts 1a, but we don't look at Luke's other rendition of this commission. He's saying, you're my witnesses. Now go and wait. (laughs) Go and wait until you get what you need. Please don't leave home with this cup when I need you to have the bucket. They didn't earn it. They didn't do spiritual exercises. Higher, longer, faster, faster. They waited upon him in a prayerful attitude. They were unified in the spirit. They were in one accord and Jesus came in power. So in verse eight of Acts chapter one, again, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on, on you. And then he talks again about where this is going to happen and then he's taken up in the cloud. So now we don't, like when you read Matthew, I'm gonna be with you always. Like now we know in context what he means. They'll receive power and the Holy Spirit will be on them. Now in Acts chapter two, we'll get through this in the next five minutes or so. It says on the day of Pentecost, Pentecost is what? 50 days after Passover. It's 40 days, Jesus was on the earth 40 days. Ten days of prayer, being of one accord, wondering what is going on, what's this going to look like? It says suddenly there was a sound like heaven, or sound from heaven, like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. It filled the house where they were sitting. So again, this 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 wasn't wouldn't be normal for us, but this is how the church was birthed. This is how Jesus, the Son and the Father, chose to inaugurate the empowerment of the church. It says, what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. And everyone present got really, really weird. No. It says, <laughs> see, we think that Pentecostals, they're the holy rollers. This is normal. It's normal Christianity to receive power. It's normal Christianity to be a witness in your hometown and go and go and go until people are touched with the power of the gospel. I have no clue where I am. I mean, I know where I'm trying to find the verse here. It says everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. I want you to see this because I believe the quicker you realize that this empowerment is for everyone, you will relax and receive. It doesn't say Everyone except the three people who still struggle a little bit in this area. Everyone except those who didn't read their Bible last night. Everyone except that one who's just a little bit nervous, right? It doesn't say that. It said everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I say that not in a way to condemn you if you haven't been baptized with the Holy Spirit. I'm trying to build your faith to say, wait a minute. Not just everybody in this room, but everybody across this entire earth that calls himself a Christian. We're all in on this. This isn't a little spiritual badge we get. This is an anticipation that we need empowerment to advance this gospel. Now, if you look, again, I'm not gonna read because of the sake of time, but if you look, verses five uh, through eight here, it says that all the the, the devout Jews, they were in, you can put the verses up if you want, uh, the devout Jews came from every nation and they heard this loud noise. So they're running in bewilderment, it says, And they heard these people who didn't know their own language speaking in their own native language. And it says in verse seven, they were completely amazed. How can this be? These people are from Galilee, but they're speaking in our language. What can this mean? I don't just believe it's normal for believers to be empowered. I actually believe it's normal for non-believers to be attracted to believers who are operating in power. Maybe the reason, I forget who it was uh, that said, I don't know who it was, somebody that said, I like your Jesus, I just don't like the ones who say that they're following Jesus, because they don't match up, right? If people would be, if you'd be like embarrassed to tell somebody you're a Christian, then we need to look at what normal Christianity is, repent of how you've been living, start following Jesus, and people will be attracted to you. Picture how your workplace would be if you started praying for people and you saw immediate results people being set free, people, people's marriages being healed, people being healed physically, people coming to the Lord. I believe it's normal for non-believers to be attracted to us when we're operating in power. Again, this is your personality. You don't have to pictures of walking down the street, laying your hands on people and running and screaming. Like, be you and let power flow. Just surrender the flesh part of you, Right? Verse 13, though, it says, others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying they're all drunk, that's all. I believe it's also normal for hard-hearted people to ridicule the power of Jesus, but that shouldn't slow us down. Oh, that person, they denied me. They said they didn't want prayer. They said I was just a uh, religious fanatic. Now I can't do anything else. No, it's in the Bible. It's normal. There will be hard-hearted people that don't accept your message. Keep going, keep advancing, keep walking in faith, keep praying for people, keep sharing your faith, you'll see results. In verse 14, you see Peter step forward. Now, this is the one that just, what, 30-some days, possibly 20 or 30 days before, uh, actually 50 days before, denied Jesus and then was restored to Jesus. I mean, he failed big time. And now God uses him, Jesus uses him to step forward, fully endowed with power. And he preaches a dynamic message through chapter two, and he refers back to Joel in the Old Testament, where Joel prophesies that God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Now, that's not talking just about the indwelling. That's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of power. It says that Peter's words pierced their hearts. They said, what shall we do? He says, repent of your sins, turn to God, and you'll receive the same gift. He didn't say, well, you have to first find a Pentecostal church, then take a 12-week class on the Holy Spirit, learn about the baptism. Listen, Peter's like, this is gonna happen now. We believe that this is gonna happen right now. So the people who believed his message, there were about 3,000 in all, they went and they were baptized in water that day, went home soaking wet. Now, we don't have evidence whether he spent time praying for people. Again, Luke is looking at specific moments in time, not telling the entire history. But I want you to see people being believers, being baptized with the Holy Spirit was normal through the entire early church. I want you to write these chapters down and then we're gonna pray. Acts chapter four, you can throw that one slide up. Acts chapter four, we see believers asking for power and guess what happened? These are people who were probably already baptized in the Holy Spirit once. On the day of Pentecost, I guarantee in Acts chapter four, some of the same people were in this meeting and they asked for God to pour out the ability to perform miraculous signs and wonders. And what happens is the Holy Spirit falls upon them. They're filled again and they speak the word of God boldly and prophesy. In Acts chapter eight in Samaria, we see believers having hands laid upon them and there's evidence of power. In fact, there's so much evidence of power that a sorcerer, A former magician wants to buy what just happened. He goes, can I pay you money to have that same power? Peter rebukes him harshly and says, no, you can't do it that way. Acts chapter nine, uh, Paul's traveling. uh, Oh no, I'm sorry. Paul is actually filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happened there? He began to preach and operate in signs and wonders. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, he's a Roman officer. In the middle of Peter's sermon, like Peter's like preaching to this house. When you say house, it's more of like a colonnade. It's like this larger section, probably a few hundred people. Peter's preaching and it says, while he was saying these words, the Holy Spirit falls upon them and they all start speaking in tongues, everybody together. Now there's evidence that they weren't even born again yet. So they're turning their hearts to Jesus and being baptized in the Holy Spirit at one time. We, how many of you would admit you would say that's an out of order service? None of you would admit that. If I put your hand up. I would probably admit that too. If I was just preaching, like 100% of you just whoa, filled with the Holy Spirit. But it happened. You see it. It's a normal experience for people to receive power. The last one is Acts chapter 19. Paul is traveling through Ephesus. He lays his hands on them. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues and they prophesy. I think the one thing that I just want us to settle in our hearts is that Jesus wants to pour out his Holy Spirit upon you. And we're not, we're, not, um, we're not seeking this mystical experience. I'm not coming up here to see where the, the waves blow and everything. I'm actually coming here to seek Jesus. He's my savior. He's my Lord. He promised that we would receive power if we would just wait upon him. It was normal for them to receive power because he knew there was no way they were going to make disciples of all nations without that power. In Mark chapter 16, it says that these signs shall follow those who believe. You say, well, I can never imagine putting my hand on a sick person and actually having them be healed. That's okay. That means it's impossible for you to do. Good, you're in the same court as everybody else. But if your Lord and your Savior says that those signs should follow all those who believe, then you don't have to say, well, he has a healing ministry. I'll let him pray for them. Right, You being a believer qualifies you to receive power, which qualifies you to lay your hands on sick people and see them recover. So now we don't have to get all weird about it. I see somebody limping and I say, hey, I just want to, I see that something's wrong with your leg. What's wrong with your leg? Right? You just ask them a few questions. Can I pray with you? Do you mind if I pray with you? And you actually believe Jesus will heal as you pray in his name. I want you to stand at this time. I'm really gonna just keep it quite simple so we don't complicate the whole, this is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, this is what it isn't. I don't care what you've experienced 15, 20 years ago, if you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that is wonderful. I'm just asking you, no matter what category you would put yourself in, if you feel like an actual unction in in your heart, in your spirit, that you are ready to actually take that step toward the store because you know you want the bucket but you're gonna to need to use it, right? If you're just saying, yeah, I want power. It's like, wait a minute, if you want power, but you don't pour it out onto anybody else, this is gonna be very heavy carrying it around, right? You're just logging this thing around. I'm so happy I got power three months ago at church. Just logging it around, right? So it's very simple. If you really feel like, you know what, Lord, I'm ready to step out of my comfort zone. I'm willing to be a better witness, a bigger witness, a more effective, a more efficient witness for you, than I have been before, no matter where you are, where you have been. You want a bigger bucket, I don't care if your bucket's two times the size of this, and you want a bigger bucket because you know you will pour yourself out to people. I just want you to come forward. Our altar team and our pastors, we're just gonna lay our hands upon you, and we're just gonna pray that Jesus, um, altar workers and pastors, you can come forward, and you could like walk forward, We're, we're not gonna, we don't have to wait till the lights turn low, I mean, if you want to seek Jesus, just come forward. And we're just gonna ask, altar team and pastors and spouses, we're just gonna ask a simple request of Jesus. Jesus, would you pour out your power? Would you fill them with more power to be effective witnesses? Would you pour out your Holy Spirit? Would you come and fill them to overflowing? Very simple requests like that. We're gonna worship. If you're uncomfortable coming forward, seek the Lord. It's not the end of service yet. Just seek the Lord, spend some time in worship. Come forward as you want to.
1: There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our leader. Taste it and see of the sweetest of lies, where my heart becomes free and my shame is erased.
0: are people in many, many different situations and many areas of where you're at uh, seeking Jesus. So we know if you're a believer, you have the cup, you have the endowment, you have the, the guarantee that you're a Christian, you're on your way to heaven. No doubt about it. Don't ever question your salvation in that way. So maybe some of you are saying, you know what? I'm considering taking the payment from Jesus to go to the store. Maybe sometime this week, you'll start walking to that store and say, you know what, this bucket looks more and more enticing because I actually know somebody in my family or somebody in my community needs Jesus and this isn't going to do it. So whether you came forward or not, this is my, I'm imploring you, I'm asking you, take a step closer to the store every single day to say, Jesus, I just want more power. I want, I need a larger bucket. You don't get a badge, you don't get a trophy, you don't get a medal. This isn't about us. Do you understand that? Nobody's gonna look at you as you walk down the street and say, wow, they have a really big bucket. You need this for the sake of him so his glory will cover the earth in the most practical and in the most spiritual of ways. Let him give you his bucket of power in the context of your own life. Let me just pray with you. If you're comfortable, if you just put your hand over your heart, and if you're at the altar, you can stay as long as you want and worship. Now, Father, as we place our hands on our hearts, Lord Jesus, we just ask that you would come and just fill us, fill our hearts, fill our spirits fresh, Lord Jesus. We don't ask for anything different than what happened in Scripture. We don't ask anything more or anything less. We ask that you would send the gift of your Father, and that you would pour out your Holy Spirit, and the result of that we see in scripture is that we will receive power to be your witnesses. So Jesus, I ask you for myself, I ask you for every person in here. Jesus, send your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with the purpose of power, that we can actually be normal Christians, with the lifestyle and the fruit of you and of the early church. God, we leave, and I pray that you'd release us in faith, that you'd take us out of our comfort zone even today. Give us a chance to pour out our cup. Give us a chance to pour out our bucket that we would seek even more from you. Give us a greater hunger for you, Jesus. And let us say our Jerusalem is Washington County. Our Jerusalem is Chartier's Township. Our Jerusalem is Trinity School District. Let us start where you've placed us and increase from there. I thank you, Father, you have made it clear what normal is. We want to walk in that. Bless us as we go. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.